Um, as you probably know, I'm married to Annabelle, and I've got three kids, Edmund, Ezra, and Julia, and so they're all out at, at Urbanauts at the moment. And actually, the first day that I came to Urban was the same day that I met my wife, Annabelle. And the way that it worked was that my sister and brother-in-law had been on a missions trip, well, building trip over in Mexico, building a house for a family, and Annabelle had been on the same trip. And so my uh, sister said to me, oh, we met this girl, Annabelle, and we thought, you know, you two would get along. So I said, oh, yeah. And so they were in Wellington, and they were traveling to, to Auckland for a, for a visit, and said, oh, Simon, can you drive us in to meet up with Annabelle in the city? We're having lunch with her on, at Crave. And I said, yeah, I'm driving, I can do that. Brunch, yep, I can do that. It's a tough life, but we'll manage. And so um, they said, oh, Annabelle, Simon's coming, and she's, he's driving us in, so he'll be there too, and we had a nice brunch together. It was a, it was a setup, but Annabelle didn't know anything about it. So uh, Annabelle, we had a nice time in getting together, and... Uh, she didn't have any other plans for the day, so the four of us went to the museum, and then we went out to Mission Bay. We had ice cream, and we were talking about those outdoor movies that they had in Auckland at the time. And I said, oh, I wouldn't mind going to one of those movies. Maybe I could get your number, and if you're going sometime, we could meet up. And do you know she gave me her number? Which was really quite amazing, because she's quite a private person and doesn't usually give out numbers to anybody. So I felt that was quite a miracle. <laughs> And she invited us to come to Urban that night. Um, so the four of us went off to, to Urban. Annabelle was on welcoming for the 5 p.m. service at the bunker. And so we arrived a bit early, and I felt very welcomed. And then Lloyd was speaking on vision um, that day. So that was cool to hear him talk about the um, vision for, for Urban. I think it was about authentic, authentic kingdom living or something, something around that. And so, uh, yeah, it was quite a memorable and special special day for me. I never actually ended up going to the outdoor movie with Annabelle, but I did text her, and we met up, and I ended up coming back to Urban um, at Night Church quite a few times. And now um, we're very well, uh, very, yeah, feel very great to be back in here in, in this Urban family. Uh, at the beginning of last year, we um, actually left Urban to go to a church that was more local to us in Papakura. It was across the road, which was quite convenient. And then we, um, yeah, beginning of, well, partway through this year we just we were really missing urban we felt like we hadn't actually really left and that we'd wanted to come back I guess this place felt like a spiritual home to us and sometimes in life it's important to to come back home so that's us and we're really enjoying reconnecting with old friends and and making new ones as well so that's sort of my story of, of, of how we came to be here. Um, by trade, I'm a teacher, primary school teacher. Actually, I'm a reliever. So I go in and take other people's classes rather than take my own, and I cause trouble. I leave messes, I hype the kids up, and I change all the programs. Actually, I tell a lot of stories and play songs on my ukulele and dance and run sports programs. And I will spare you most of that today, but I hope you might indulge me in a, in a story. So. I'll try and tell a bit of a story. I've been thinking about Joseph lately, a story from Genesis. And so um, I've been thinking about how Joseph's life might connect with mine and maybe how my life might be a little bit of an echo or have some connection with Joseph. So I thought I'd try something a little bit, a little bit new for me and share the story as, as if I'm Joseph in the first person. So you can imagine me being up here in my, my fancy coat. So I am Joseph. I'm 17 and I've got a job to do. I'm ready to take my place in this family, and I've got the coat to do it. I think you'll be impressed, you know, the gold and the gold buttons, crimson stripes, purple. It's a little bit stiff, but I think I'm going to wear it every day, and it's going to loosen up on me. I think my um, 
I think I need to sort out this family. My brothers, they are a bit like bulls without a tether. They're, hmm. I think my dad, he knows he needs my help too. That's why he gave me this coat of colors. And it's not about me being his favorite as such, like my brothers think. I think my dad knows that I'm the person to take this family forward. Even my dad, bless his heart, hasn't made the best decisions, and he gives those brothers of mine far too much responsibility for one thing. Now with me, as second in charge, Dad has a 2IC that he can count on. For example, just the other day I was up in the mountains looking after the sheep with my brothers and Gad and Asher and Nefali and Dan, and they were working out there, but I wouldn't exactly call it working. They, um, their husbandry skills really need some uh, work, and so I'm going to send them on a course. But I think there's a few other issues, far too many parties. Uh, and I think they're having more roast lamb than their allocation. So we've got to follow the rules there. Of course, I had to tell my dad. Uh, it wasn't narking, it was being responsible. But that's not the way they saw it. But they needed a bit of a kick up the butt, and dad's the one to do it because I mean, I'm only 17, even though I am the most responsible person around here, and I need to really run this family business. Well, one of the first things in our family is we've got to start following the rules. We've got to try a bit hard. Actually, we've got to try a lot harder. I know I'm working pretty hard, but my brother's a bit worried about them. You know, this family is supposed to be chosen by God. We've got all these promises, but um, we're actually a mess, and we've got to sort it out. We're not doing God's brand any good right now. But now I've got this jacket. I think I can show them how it's meant to be done. Well, God's made it clear to me that my brothers and my dad should be listening to me. Have I told you about my dreams? I had this dream. I was out in the field gathering the sheaves of grain and stuff. You know, the grain grows up and you cut it and it lies down. You bunch it all up, something like that. Um, if you're not from an agricultural society, you probably wouldn't understand, but I'm from agricultural society, so I know about these things. Well, my grain, which was lying down, stood up, and all the other bunches of grain that my brothers were um, gathering together, they bow down to my grain. Symbolic? I think so. And I realized that my brothers need to know this. They need to know that God has given me this job, and so I should tell them. They weren't too impressed when I told them. In fact, they hated me. They didn't seem to think that they should be listening to me. I suppose they are older than me, and they think that they're all big shots. So they didn't listen to me and I think they're quite arrogant donkeys, and they should open their hearts to God more and to my divine dreams. <laughs> well, God gave me another dream, and I think this one was even more obvious than the other ones. I was standing there, and the sun, moon, and 11 stars all bowed down to me. Clear? I think so. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> so I thought, well, if the brothers didn't listen to my last dream, they'll listen to this one. So we gathered around the campfire, stars, campfire, and I told them this dream about the stars all bowing down to me, and they started coughing and spluttering and saying things. I thought the fire was getting in their eyes, but actually they were just really angry at me, and I actually um, can't repeat some of the things they said. I was a bit worried they were gonna rough me up, um, but then Dad came along, so that was, that was quite good. Uh, but it wasn't good because Dad started telling me off instead of telling them off. I mean, like, what, what did I done? What crime could have I committed? I mean, it was a dream. Like, is it a crime to get a dream? I mean, like, the dream came from God, not from me. They didn't see it that way. Um, they didn't give a toss, my brothers. And even my dad didn't really want to listen to the dream. It's a good thing my brothers can't really do anything to me because I'm the one who wears the jacket. And Dad will soon see that I'm the one who needs to lead this family forward. I'm the one he can trust, and I'll show him what I can do. 
It's not just about working harder. It's about working harder and smarter. And nobody in this family works as hard or as smart as me. All right, that was Joseph. I'm back to being Simon now. And I've been, <laughs> I've been asking myself this question. What is it about the life of Joseph that connects with me? What is it about um, his life that I, I think I, I feel a connection to him? And I think it's this question of identity. Um, like, I ask myself, well, I've been asking myself pretty much all my life, like, who am I? And I think Joseph was asking the same question. Uh, and I think it's a question we all ask ourselves. There's a story, I was growing up, I was in high school, and my dad worked in business, and he got tickets to this um, rugby game uh, at the stadium in Wellington where we lived, and he couldn't find an extra person to take. Uh, and so him and another colleague had said, that, oh, we'll invite our sons to come, come along. And I was so excited going to the rugby in a corporate box in Wellington. So we went along and we had this nice meal. It was the best um, glazed ham that I've ever tasted. And all these different business people, important business people were there and you know, talking and chatting and enjoying the rugby and enjoying drinks. And there was as many Cokes as you could drink. And I remember these two business people came in and people were in introducing themselves to them, and I thought, I realized, oh, I'm going to have to introduce myself. Oh, how am I going to introduce myself, feeling quite inferior in this sort of environment with all these important people? And so it came to my turn to introduce myself, and I said, hi, I'm David Cossey's son. And they just sort of waited, and they're like, David Cossey's son? Hum, David Cossey's son, hum, David Cossey's son, uh, completely mocking me. And Dad looked over to me and smiled and said, Simon, you're Simon. I was like, ha, yeah, I'm Simon. And I wondered if you'd asked Joseph, you know, who are you, Joseph? I wonder if he had said, oh, I'm Jacob's son. And I think that's, yeah, like I said, a question that we all ask ourselves. Who am I? You know, what am I here for? And we can find that, you know, a sense of identity in relationships. I'm a dad, I'm a husband, uh, I'm a son, I'm a daughter, I'm a friend. Sometimes we can find it. Um, or for me, I sometimes find it in what I'm going to do or my ambitions, like, just wait until I've done what I'm going to do, and then people will see that I'm someone. Uh, or in a job, often we try and find um, our identity in a job, you know, what we do, our skills, our abilities. And that was probably pretty true for me, especially when I came to Auckland for my first teaching job. I'd been very confused about what job to do. Then I'd settled on, OK, I'll be a teacher. And then I had to get a teaching job. And uh, I applied for a job up here in Auckland at a in a pretty rough neighborhood, you could say, and I thought, yeah, this is it. God has called me to do this, and th this is the one thing I was sure about. I hadn't been sure about anything, but like, this is the job God's got for me. I'm going to go there. It'll be hard. I'll work hard. I'll do my best, and it'll work out. And, and up until that point in my life, that's what I'd done. Study got hard. I worked harder. You know, things were difficult. Put in the effort, put in the time. You can, you can get by. But I didn't have the skills for this job, and it went downhill fast, and I tried to hold on, and I was like, whoo. I remember going for a walk one day and thinking, God, there's a real chance I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to be performance managed out, or I'm going to have to resign. This is a disaster. And then what am I going to do with this sense that you called me to do this? I'm failing at the job that you called me to do. And pretty much I was saying, God, you're not holding up your side of the bargain. You, know, you called me to do this. You should be empowering me to do it. And the story was that I did have to resign my job. I, was, I couldn't try any harder. I tried as much as I could, and I was about to sort of break down, have, a, have been in a bad space. And otherwise, they were going to performance manage me, me out because I couldn't, couldn't do the job. 
and it was really hard. It was hard on my ego. It was hard on my relationship with God. But I think God was revealing something of my heart at that, at that time. You know, like Joseph had those dreams, and I sometimes wondered to myself, why did God give Joseph those dreams? It made the situation much worse. And the brothers hated him, and then he got the dreams, and they told them, and they hated him even more. He got another dream, they hated him even more and more. And, you know, but I think God was doing something similar in my life. He'd given me this, this calling, this thing to do, and, and he'd used it to reveal what my heart was, that I really wanted to be seen as a good teacher. I wanted to find my job, my identity, and my job. Um, and I wanted God to serve my agenda. I wanted God to make me successful. I wasn't really so interested in serving God and doing whatever he wanted me to do. I wanted God to serve me. And so that was a real, I guess, probably turning point in my faith. I think growing up, I'd, I'd had the sense of try harder. You know, if, if you're not doing well, try a bit harder. Um, there's lots of rules. There's lots of things you have to do in Christianity. There's lots of things you should do. And you know, try a bit harder. And I, I knew the gospel, I knew that it wasn't about trying harder, but my actual practice was was try harder. And I think um, for me, being in urban, being here, has really helped me to heal from a lot of those try harder and should do messages that I'd picked up along the way. Uh, instead of hearing should do when I came to urban, I, I heard invitations like, this is God's invitation to you. Uh, instead of hearing try harder, I heard rest. You know, that song that we sang uh, earlier on about um, he is all our rest, you know, and we relent. That wasn't really something I'd picked up before, and suddenly I was in this environment where people were resting. People were opening their hearts up to God, and nobody was telling me what I should do, or all these things I should do and try harder. And I think we see this in, in Joseph's lives, life too. Um, probably most of us know the story that he was sold into slavery and um, got into Potiphar's house, an important, probably military official, and Joseph did work hard. But it wasn't the hard work that brought him into being the top of that you know, environment, top of that house, being the most important servant in that environment. It was God's favor. And then he lost that job, falsely accused and put into prison, and he ends up running the prison. Yep, Joseph would have probably been working hard, but it wasn't his hard work. It was God's favor on his life. Uh, and then probably in the defining moment of, of Joseph's life, he's standing before the most powerful man in the world, Joe Biden, I mean, Pharaoh, and he says, <laughs> he says, uh, Pharaoh says to him, interpret my dream. You can imagine being in front of Joe Biden, and Joe Biden says, interpret my dream. But um, Joseph says, I can't do it. He says, but God will give you the answer. And not only did Joseph give him the answer to the dream, he also gave him the interpretation and the application from it. And Joseph's just out of prison. You know, he doesn't, you know, he's just been a slave, he's been a prisoner, and now he's standing before the most powerful person on earth. But he doesn't speak as a slave. He doesn't speak as a prisoner. He speaks as an advisor to a king. And it's not arrogance. God has given him a new sense of identity, a sense of who he is. And as I look, reflect back on my own life, the problem with try harder, um, the problem with trying to achieve all the shoulds or not achieve all the should not do's is that I either feel superior to other people or I feel inferior. I'm doing well. I'm like, hmm, I'm doing better than them. I can look down on them. If I mess up or something goes wrong or I lose my job, I am the worst person in the world. Everybody else is better than me. I can't feel good about myself. But not so with Joseph. It wasn't like that. You know, he went to Pharaoh and he 
had an identity with Pharaoh, that he could speak to Pharaoh and advise the most powerful man in the world. But yet he had just come from the dungeons where he was serving and looking after the lowest prisoners, or people who had, who had nothing. And you see that with Jesus as well. You know, he speaks to the Pharisees and the most important people in his society, later on to Pilate and Herod. And he also serves the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the beggars. And he doesn't think he's better than any of them, even though he absolutely is. And I think through Jesus, we can have that too, through the gospel. Um, Tim Keller has taught me that um, the gospel does a one-two on our e ego. Number one, we're a sinner saved by grace. Um, you know, my sin was so bad that nothing less than the death of the Son of God could actually forgive me. You know, I am capable of doing any terrible sin, even the ones that I look down on other people. The fact that I don't is only by the, the grace of God and maybe my upbringing or cultural the conditions around me. But if I've been so loved and saved by grace, how can I look down on anyone? That's the one. And then the one too. The two is that I'm so loved and cherished by God that he would save me and he would go to the greatest cost to save me. You know, when I'm tempted to think, oh, I'm just not good enough, I'm not worthy enough, I'm not, why would anybody care about me? Well, that's, that's, that's ego. Um, but I can't think that way when I think about how much God loves me and how much he, how far he went to save me. So I'll just share with a couple, I'll finish with a couple of other stories from, from my life that sort of illustrate that, I hope. Um, like I said, I was a primary school teacher and I started a new, at a new school um, about three years ago in Julia, or just after Julia was born. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to enjoy this job. It's going to be good. Went into the first day and I thought, oh, that was tricky. This is a bit of a rough school. I thought I had the skills to do this, but um, I'm going to have to up my game. So next week I went in the th into that same class and I had up my game. I had done my preparation. I was ready. I had, I thought I'll give them my very best, my very best skills, my very best lessons, and this is going to be good. And it was terrible. And I walked home thinking, what went wrong? You know, God, I did my very best. I thought I've got these skills that you've given me. And I feel like I gave them these kids my very best and I had it all thrown back on my face. How can I work here? What? what am I going to do? I've signed up for a whole year. Um, and I, I felt the sense of like God's, oh, that's actually sometimes what we do with God. He gives us his very best. And sometimes as, as humanity, maybe we just throw it back in his face. And I realize that sometimes I can, I can be like that too. And it left me with a resolve to um, open my heart to God, that when God gives me something, I'm not going to be like, oh, no, I'm not good enough for that, or oh, no, no, I'm too good for that, just to try and open my heart to, to him, to what he gives me. But it also gave me a resolve that if I'm feeling that way, that everybody's throwing things back in my face, that Jesus has been there before me. Um, and so I don't need to get really badly offended because it's actually him. Uh, who, Jesus has ex experienced that too. And so I've had to decide if I'm going to keep working at that school um, this year, and I'm still sort of in that process. But as I was talking to God about it, I was sort of saying, God, I'm feeling really drained. This is a place that drains me. I need to I need to be in a place where I can use my skills. I don't feel like I can use my skills as a teacher here. I think it's time for me to finish off at this, in, this, in this job. And I felt like God was sort of saying, um, but what if I want you just to be a presence here? And I was like, but be a presence God, but like anybody can just be a present. I've got, I've got skills, I want to be able to use them. And God says, but I haven't been asking anybody, I'm, I'm asking you. I'm like, oh, okay. 
And that sort of makes me realize that there's still quite a lot of pride and so a lot of arrogance in my own heart. And like Joseph had a lot of arrogance in his heart and that God was using the circumstances of his life to, to change him and, and make him more, more like Jesus. Even though Jesus wasn't going to be born for a lot longer yet, Joseph is a, is a picture of Jesus for us. So I guess, like, for me, I've realized that Jesus is teaching me. He's teaching me to see myself in a new way. You now, when I ask that question, who am I? Now I can say, I'm God's child. Who am I? Now I'm God's servant. I'm, I'm here to serve him, not myself. And, and who am I? Yeah, I'm a pilgrim on the journey. And I'm trying to ask each day or just have it in the back of my mind, you know, how can I find God in this day? And I guess that's like what we all are. We're all pilgrims on a journey, and we found our journey combining together where we are today.